I'm Al Warren, and you got Mr. Joe Goldberg, just just raring to go. I'm in the house, Al. I'm in the house. <laughs> in the I'm house. looking out the window watching summer go by from my house. Yeah, it goes fast, you know. I've noticed. Yeah, especially at your age. Things are going really fast now, aren't they, for you? I was waiting for that. Yeah, it's a ticking clock. <laughs> Life is ticking. Thanks for bringing that up. So, Thriller. We're going back into the Thriller. That's why you're here. We're That's why I'm here. I'm you're in Thriller. Thriller. Spy master, spy master. Well, that is true. Well, that is true. So now we've got a great guest here, uh, of course. Uh, now his new book is called Chameleon, and it's a black box thriller. Remy Adelie, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you for having me on. Remy, now um, just looking through your history, wow, you had you you had quite the life. I mean, you um, uh, looks like you uh, were born in Nigeria. And after your father's uh, death and, uh, you know, the government problems and stuff, you ended up in New York, in the Bronx in the 80s. When you were going through that time period, that must have been just awful. It must have been a terrible struggle. Where, what did you see for a future for yourself at that time? What were you thinking? Well, you know, it, this was 1987. I was five at the time when the Nigerian government um, stripped my dad of all of his wealth and we went from riches into poverty. So because I was five and so young, I didn't fully understand everything that was going on. And when we came to the States, my mom did a really, really good job of masking the reality of what had happened. Um, she was able to take some of my dad's art and his books and, you know, she pepper it throughout our small little apartment in the Bronx, always kept it clean. You know, she was a stickler for whatever you do, whether it's cleaning, brushing your teeth or washing the dishes, do it right. And so that transition wasn't hard for me. And, you know, keeping in mind that when, when, uh, when I was a kid, and I think this speaks for most young kids, the world is so big to you, no matter how small the room it is that you're in. <laughs> and so uh, the transition wasn't rough. It wasn't until I got uh, to around eight or nine years old and I began to realize I'm not in Kansas anymore and this is a really rough area. So did you kind of hold on to a lot of the things that you went through back then and do you use them today? Is that something that you've you've kind of turned around into, a, into something positive? Oh, 100%. I don't think that... Uh, I know for a fact I wouldn't have made it into the military. I wouldn't have made it through SEAL training. I wouldn't have operated at the level that I operated at and, you know, be where I'm at now as a writer, director, producer, and author without that hard upbringing. People ask me all the time, you know, with, not ask me, but they say, your life would have been so much better if the Nigerian government didn't strip your, your, your family of everything and you grew up rich. And I say, absolutely not, because, uh, you know, going through that, that hell really refined me into the man that I am today. And I know without an unequivocal doubt that I wouldn't be one today without all the adversity 
So that adversity was good. And it definitely shapes uh, the team, running scams, to getting beat up, to, you know, getting shot at. All that stuff allows me to uh, write more authentically and, 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 um, and, and write from a place of experience as opposed to uh, a place of having research alone. When did the creative arts, fine arts part come in for you? That you, Everything you would do was in that vein after the seals. Um, when did that play into your life? I would say it came in uh, pretty early. I, uh, my mom, she was always into the arts. Um, and we were poor uh, growing up in New York City. And so what she would do is she would get jobs at museum, uh, uh, museums, art galleries, playhouses, um, and, 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 you know, festivals in order to be able to expose us to the arts for free. So I remember being in being, you know, seven, eight years old and, and going and, and watching Showboat. <laughs> yeah. You know, and hearing Old Man River, that Old Man River. So, so you know, I, I remember doing those things. And so I fell in love with the arts. And another thing my mom um, recognizes the arts is movies and film. Like, to her, that was the uh, that was the pinnacle of the arts, you know, to be able to write a story and then have somebody shoot that uh, written piece and, and bring it to life. And so my mom would save her pennies, and you know, once a month she'd take us to a, to a movie, uh, and and that's where I got some good education. And in reality, that's where I got exposed to the SEAL team. So um, the arts was uh, essentially pressed upon me at a young age. When uh, some parents, you have some parents who put a baseball, basketball, football, or uh, or jujitsu outfit in, in front of their kids and say, "Hey, let's get to work." My mom, it was the arts, but it was also a pen and a paper. So, you know, from the time we were really, really small, she would make us read New York Times articles and, and books and write reports on those books. And if those reports weren't near perfect, she would make us pick another article or another book and start all over from scratch. Uh, because from my mom's standpoint, if you, she felt as though if my brother and I knew how to articulate our thoughts in a literary format, then we would never, ever be without a job. And so this was all introduced to me at a, at a very young age. Oh, your Bob sounds like a special person. Awesome, awesome. She's 70. She'll be 71 next month. Yeah. Um, God bless her. She's, uh, everybody thinks she's my sister because she looks like she's about 40. She works out every day, does pull-ups, push-ups, runs. I mean, she was my first Navy SEAL instructor before I had one. She <laughs> <laughs> can kick your ass, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she can. <laughs> well, you know, when you were in the Navy, and and you're 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 coming out of it. Was was there something that made you want to get into what you're doing now, into the writing, into the filming, you know, the directing and everything like that? Did you know at that time during the Navy time that you were going to get into this? No, not at all. Um, in fact, I um, I would say my last few years in the military, I started my bachelor's, finished my bachelor's before I got out. I got my bachelor's in business, and then I started my master's in organizational sales strategy. I was going to hey, look, there's so many people that have VA sales. So I was like, oh, I want to do something different. So it's, it's still part of the business school at the University of Charleston, West Virginia, but I, I chose the organizational strategy route. And my plan when I got out was to go into business consulting because I have a brother-in-law who's a YPO, or YPO stands for Young President's Organization. There's chapters all around the world. In order to get in, you have to be a millionaire or a billionaire under the age of 40. And so my brother-in-law had been in, in YPO um, since his uh, late 20s, early 30s. And he would always get me consulting jobs uh, with 
with his friends' companies and YPO and, and his company as well and his forums. And so I didn't want to be the Navy SEAL that's just taking the principles that I learned in special operations and, and passing them on into to the business world. I also wanted to be able to uh, have some education behind me. So I was in grad school, um, you know, not just when I got out, but before I got out, and my plan was to do business consulting full-time. I ended up getting out of the Navy in January 2016. And fast forward to May of 2016, I was at my office writing papers for school, and uh, my phone rang, and on the end of the line was a woman who worked for a little director by the name of Michael Bay. <laughs> and, uh, Good call. She, yeah. And uh, Michael Bay was looking for a person with my background in special operations to work on a little movie called Transformers the last night. And so uh, she asked me if I was available. I said, yeah, I'm doing writing papers for school. And uh, she said, can you uh, send me some pictures? I did. And uh, about an hour later, she called me back and said, Michael Bay would like to hire you. That's just going to be one day. So I went up to L.A. the next day, filmed, um, and did some consulting and some acting on it. And then uh, about a week later, I got a phone call, and the woman said, Bay wants to hire you for another three weeks. Um, so I flew out to Arizona, filmed for a week, flew from Arizona to Michigan, filmed for two weeks. At the end of those two weeks, another lady approached me and said, hey, Michael Bay wants to keep doing the film until we wrap in December. And so that was what started my career in, in, in Hollywood. So is that a lucky break or is that hard work? Uh, it, I don't want to call it a lucky break because I wasn't looking for it. I, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I would say it's being, always being open to uh, an opportunity that I... Uh, was foreign to that was foreign to me, right? Acting and consulting, working in the film and TV business and storytelling was something that was foreign to me and as it relates to an entertainment standpoint. Um, uh, and so I, I would just say was being open to the unexpected opportunity. You've got a new book, uh, Chameleon, um, and it looks like it's uh, book one of one. So is this going to be a series or is this just going to be a standalone? Yeah, it's going to be a series. It's a one of three, actually, but I'm not going to do one with William Morrow. Uh, I'm not going to do two and three with William Morrow. I'm just doing one with William Morrow, and then I'm going to do two and three with another publisher um, that we're going to uh, start going out to after the release of book one. Okay, so what is the premise of this book? Like, what, what's the idea behind it? Yeah, so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very loosely, I, the best explanation I give is it's a fictional extension of my first book, Transformed, um, my memoir. Um, in every special operator, every Navy SEAL team, um, each person has a specialization. And uh, I was a medic, but I was also a human guy, which stands for human intelligence. Now, when I was writing my book, Transformed, I couldn't go into great detail as far as what I did on the human side. I've gone through various three-letter agency training programs and um, learned tradecraft, learned source handling, pretty much learned how to do spy stuff as a uh, as a frogman. And then I got a chance to go overseas and actually put my training to work. Um, and, I, and I was able to touch on it lightly in my book, Transform. There's actually a chapter in my book, Transform, called Chameleon. And, uh, and, and so I, um, after I wrote the book, I then decided, you know what, let me write a, a screenplay called Chameleon. This is after I wrote the, uh, my Transform book so that I can go into greater detail about while fictionalizing everything. And so essentially, Kali Ken is ready at Leke. 
Um, he has a very similar backstory as me. He was born in Nigeria, and, and there were some corrupt things that happened in his family, which led to him and his mom being exiled from Nigeria to the United States. He ended up growing up in New York City and rising up uh, through the ranks, and uh, instead of him going into becoming a Navy SEAL, and uh, he enters into the CIA uh, black box program and he learns how to uh, become a chameleon which essentially he goes to method acting school and and uh, which is a very specialized method acting school and he learns how to become whatever character he needs to become at the drop of a dime so um, this book follows, follows Kali Kent and his team, uh, which is made up of Thane Macklin, who is Overwatch, so he's in charge of the team. He's a former chameleon who just graduated to an Overwatch position. And then there's a ghost agent who's a part of the team, and she's uh, her specialization is getting in and out of places like a ghost or planting herself in places where nobody expects her to be. And then um, there's a one agent named Spencer who's essentially their uh, their driver. He's able to drive any vehicle like the wind. And so this team, led by Kali for the most part, um, is uh, they go on a mission to uh, uh, identify and then take down uh, Lucas Van Groot, who's essentially manipulating uh, the worldwide, worldwide stock markets through a ransom gambit. When I was writing the book, I didn't want to do your typical, oh, uh, the bad guy has a nuclear weapon, or there's a MacGuffin that we have to chase, or biological uh, warfare. I think uh, as I was writing, I was uh, beginning to realize that a lot more people are, are, are privy to um, the realities of economic warfare and the financial depression. And so um, that's essentially the nuclear bomb here is uh, Van Groot is a very intelligent man and knows how to uh, manipulate worldwide uh, markets uh, for his good and to destabilize economies. So that's essentially uh, the, the mission is to find him and, and stop him before things get further out of control. So, Remy, there's a lot there. Did you start with the plot ideas or did you start with the characters? Character. Yeah, for me, it's always character drives plot. Whether I'm writing a screenplay or a book, it's always, it's always about the character. I have an idea of what the plot is. You know, like I knew that I wanted to do something different. I knew uh, that I wanted it to be Luke, uh, the, uh, the, the antagonist to be Lucas Van Groot from South Africa, former cellular scout. I knew that um, he was that there was going to be this uh, this hidden partnership. I don't want to give away that that we discover later in the book, and then and then through that partnership that Van Groot has. He's going to be able to do exponentially more damage. I, I knew what the plot was going to be, but I always start with the character, and I and, and because once I develop my character, how they how they look, how they feel, what their emotion is, what their no go go criteria is, all of these different things that, that comes with developing a character, I know that that character is going to help me get to where I want to be in a plot, but it's going to essentially drop the breadcrumbs as to how to get from plot point one to plot point two to plot point three to plot point four, four so on and so forth. And so that's where I always start. Well, let's get to that. How do you, how do you build out your character? Do you picture them? Do you have themes? Yeah. This person represents death. This person represents funny. This represents person that, the other. Well, that's a fantastic question. So I actually start building my characters years before I start writing anything, interestingly. Um, so, uh, I have in my cell phone, my iPhone, I have this notepad app. And, uh, for example, for Chameleon, Chameleon's been in my head for over 10 years. And over the course of the 10 years, when certain things came to me about the character, I would just drop a note. Kali is by the book. 
you know, that was one thing that came to me, like, he needs to be by the book, uh, you know, and then maybe a year later, or, you know, a few months later, something else comes to me, or I hear a line of dialogue that I, that I feel uh, would fit right for that character, not here, like, from a film or a TV show or a book, but, like, a line of dialogue comes to me that is in line with, with what I think this character will be, and I'll drop that into my notepad, and I'll just drop all of these things like, that I accumulate over the years, sometimes, months, sometimes, depending on the project, but but years for the most part, and so by the time I, it's, it's time for me to put pen to paper, the character's already there, um, because I've been able, or, you know, for example, Nevea, um, who's one of the lead characters, she's the ghost agent in, in, in um, Chameleon Black Box, and I remember, like, I want to say it was about four years ago, I was speaking in Colorado, and the guy who uh, was my driver who picked me up, he uh, said to me that his daughter's name is Nevea. And I had never heard that name before. It was such a beautiful name. He started explaining to me the meaning and how the name fits her so well and her personality and all these different things. And, and so that conversation that I had four or five years ago became the foundation for Nevaeh, who's in the book. And then, again, as things came to me, then I would drop that into my Nevaeh folder. So that's how I developed the characters. not something where I... Uh, you know, just sit overnight and start throwing stuff at the wall. It's something that happens over time. Even now with Chameleon 2 and 3, there's certain characters, there's certain plot points when you know, I'm, I'm driving down the street or I'm in the gym working out and certain ideas come to me or certain character names come to me uh, or I see something or have a conversation with somebody and I just drop that in a notepad. I'm not going to be working on book 3 for at least another year and a half, two years, but when I get there, I'll have everything that I need. So which character do you relate to the most or do you think... Um you're you're in the most oh so the lead protagonist of the book is the character that i relate to the most he is me i am him um um you know and 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 and, and, and it was very easy even though i did full stuff that that you know i, I came across over the years and put it into my colleague folder for the most part probably me he's He's from where I came from. He grew up where I grew up. Um, he has my same uh, predilections. Um, he uh, he's by, he tries to be by the book. He's very driven, but being very driven is his downfall. You know, just like me, that that's my downfall sometimes. Um, it was my father's downfall. Downfall, call surely. He was just such a driven man that you know he couldn't see the people who were going to betray him because he was just so focused on his vision. And, and that is me. And that is Kali. Kali is just a very driven man. And so that, that comes from me. So Kali is me and I am Kali for sure. How do you describe your relationship with your other characters then? Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, they're, they're people that kind of came out of my head for the most part. So, uh, you know, Nevea is, is, is also loosely based off of somebody I know and a, a certain relationship that I have with this person. Uh, and so, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's very, like, again, I always go back to, Chameleon is a fictional extension of Transform. So there's certain characters in Transform that when people are read, if they read Transform or read Chameleon, they'll, they'll see the connection there. Even Kali's mother, Kali's mother is very, very loosely based off of my mother. You know, and so the way, Kali relates to these other characters in a way I was able to write it in a very relational way so it doesn't seem like 
Um, here's a character that just dropped in a book, and here's another character that's going to drop in a book, and I'm going to put them in a the room together. The way I was able to create a word where they have these deep root, or it seems as though they have these deep root relationships and connections is via pulling from, from my friends, my family, my experiences, and, and uh, putting it into the book. So in your books are interesting, some interesting topics and places. How does setting play a role in your books? Setting is uh, also everything. <laughs> yeah, I uh, you know, I, 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 I chose places. I tried to choose places that I haven't operated in or worked in. I tried to choose places that, uh, that to me, reads like places that I would have loved to operate in. Uh, that are uh, that are uh, are beautiful. So, for example, Brazil. We open up in Brazil, you know, in the triple canopy, uh, the jungle of Brazil, and uh, and you know, and and, and also go with the character, right? The uh, the, the the characters that I created make sense for them to be in this particular part of Brazil. And the protagonists that are going after these particular characters, it makes sense for our protagonists to be there because they're doing a specific mission there. So um, my setting is, is driven by two things. One, um, by the, the characters, because the characters driving the plot, where we go what, and why we go there. But also, too, by, uh, you know, places that I always wanted to go to but never had a chance to go to. South Africa, I always wanted to go to South Africa. So you went there for your research? No, I didn't. I just I did a lot of research online. <laughs> yeah, I wish. I wish, I wish. So the, the evil person, the bad people in the book, and the ones that cause trouble, how do you get into the head of that kind of a character? Because I was that kind of character. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was, uh, I, before I joined the military, I was a criminal. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I went to go join the Navy, I had two warrants out for my arrest. I had a warrant in New York and I had a warrant in New Jersey. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 not only was I a criminal, but I grew up around a lot of criminals. I grew up around a lot of drug dealers. I grew up around murderers. I grew up around a lot of very bad people. And, uh, in fact, it was, um, it was my trend, my, my, my subtle change came when I got involved in a deal with a drug dealer that went bad. I sold some products that were supposed to last for a certain amount of time. Those products lasted for a fraction of that time. And he, not only was my life threatened, but my mother's life was threatened. So, you know, the way I got into the headspace of the antagonists and these bad guys was just kind of falling back on, on the bad guys that I knew, the bad guys that, that, the bad guy that I was, but also the bad guys that I went after when I finally got into the Seals. And, and as an intelligence guy, as a human guy, you know, I, I, I tell, I tell people all the time, I got, I got the chance to live the best of both worlds. Not only was I sealed and got the kicked outdoors, but I also worked on the, on the intelligence side where I was meeting with sources and tasking my sources to go collect intelligence for me, vetting intelligence against ISR footage, against, uh, against SAIL, against all of these other uh, means of, of, of intelligence gathering. So I was able to learn a lot about the guys that I went after, some very, very evil men. And so, you know, between the people that I went after and, and studied uh, and for the purposes of taking them down, on missions, and then uh, also my background being a bad guy, and then you know having lived and grew up around a lot of very. I mean, I remember when I was a kid uh, going into the local bodegas and uh, seeing the mafia guys with their big collars on coming in and shaking down the store owners for taxes. So again, between my experience as a bad guy and uh, the bad guys that I grew up around, uh, the very eclectic group of bad guys that I grew up. Around, 
right? And then me going after bad guys, that's kind of how I was able to uh, um, build out my uh, my antagonists and bad guys. Well, then, as you're building out your character and your plot and your wealth of experience, are there things that you say, you know, I don't think I should put that in the book, or maybe I should really cover this up? Not, not because of the intelligence side. I do that. That's fine. But uh, just the... I don't want to use the word cancel, but are just things you say, you know, this may not be the right thing or for this book. Uh, I can't think of, I, I, you know, I can't think of anything that I was hesitant about putting in or anything that I was going to put in but ended up not putting in because I was fearful of getting canceled. Um, um, definitely was very careful, uh, very, very, very careful about putting anything that might be sensitive information. Um, uh, so, no, I can't say that. I can't say that. Now, violence on the page, are you conscious about the violence or how you write the violence? I am very conscious. I try to write violence in a way that is uh, that flows naturally and is realistic, and I'm, I don't like to write violence that is unnecessary. I don't like to write violence in action just because this is a chapter that requires an action scene, so let me make it uh, overtly violence, violent, right? Um, and going back to character, you know, Kali, there are times when Kali... I could have written Kali doing something violent to a bad guy, uh, but that that's not the character, and it's un it would be a totally unnecessary and uncharacteristic for me to write Kali smashing somebody's brains in or you know shooting a, you know shooting up a hundred guys you know by itself. It would be unrealistic for me to do that when I know that that's not his character. Um, so when it came to violence, you know, I I, I always fell back on one. Is this what the character would do? Whether not even and not just the protagonist, but also the antagonist, right? Is would this, this antagonist murder one of his henchmen just because? Um, and more than likely, the answer was no, he would not, right? Um, so for the character, it felt bad. I asked myself, is this necessary? Is this is this violence necessary in this chapter or in this sequence? Or is there another way I can? I can um, relay what I feel needs to be relayed without violence. So um, that's kind of how I deal with it. Always goes back to character and then um, my uh, my gauge. And you know, the cool thing about having my, when I watch certain movies and, and I just see action that makes no sense, it's just like the writer or the director is just putting that action or that violence in there for the sake of, hey, it's a 20-minute mark and we haven't had something happen for a while, so we need to put it in there. I can smell that out right away. And I think that heads-up readers and heads-up um, um, audiences can as well. So Yeah, I call, I call that lazy writing slash jump <laughs> yes. shark writing. It's time to put yeah. in the, the, the bullet whizzing by the ear, missing by an inch, and the, and the hero does backflips and shoots the guy in the head as he hits the ground and running. Oh, yeah. You know. Sounds like your everyday life. That's um, true. That the well, I, not mine. Underneath the thrill, the excitement, and, and the storyline itself, the adventure, it, 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 seems, it seems like the characters and the whole thing is very important to you. You're very close to it. So is there a subtext or is there some sort of a meaning or a theme that you hope people, yes. readers, take away? 100%. So um, right now here in America, we have so much division, political division, uh, racial division, I mean, you name it, and, you know, a lot of the things that we fight about is, in my opinion, is absolute foolishness, and uh, I truly believe that there are entities outside of the United States that's soaking the fire, because that's how you take down a, uh, a society, is by dividing them first, so it's an age-old divide-and-conquer method that works, and we do it in combat, 
all the time, and uh, there are countries that do it, you know, politically and and do it um, in uh, with with uh, with uh, by other means. And so, what the underlying theme throughout the book is is. And it comes to the surface more so towards the end of the book when the president of the United States is confronted by his, uh, his chief of staff. But it's this idea that we are divided for no reasons, for foolish reasons. And a lot of our division comes from the top. And, you know, we can somehow, some way, you know, uh, you know, recognize that. And try to become understanding of each other. You can't have understanding without conversation. It takes conversation to create understanding, and then it takes understanding to create unity. That's one of my beliefs. And so I try to create some, I try to have like this indirect conversation that's under the surface throughout the book. So that, that way, I can in the reader's mind when we get to the last to that last part, the crescendo, where I'm I'm, I'm a bit on the nose, not literally, but on the nose from the perspective of uh, bringing the message to the forefront. People can gain some understanding because they're like, oh, like now I see why the president made this decision or this politician made this decision. It wasn't for the greater good of everybody as a whole; it was for the greater good of his political party, right? And uh, and so. Um, so that's the message, is the importance of unity. There's actually a line of dialogue where um, the, uh, uh, the chief of staff says, hey, this is not the United States of Republicans, this is not the United States of Democrats, this is the United States of America. And uh, I'm neither a Democrat or Republican, I'm an independent free market capitalist. And, uh, and, but I, I, I wanted to be intentional about getting that out there so that, that way, you know, people would look at their neighbor differently. Even if they disagree politically, they could find some type of common ground. Because at the end of the day, regardless of whether we're black, white, Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian, whatever the case may be, we all have some type of common ground. And at a minimum, that common ground is we're all Americans. And so, um, that's, that's the message that I hope, uh, people get. Uh, uh, it's an inception, as Mr. Christopher Nolan called it. So what do you read? I read, I, I read a lot of different things. Yeah, there are a lot of themes there, so I think that's uh, what you read. Yeah, you know, I, you know I, I read a lot of political commentary. Um, I, uh, uh, obviously, I read screenplays because that's a part of my job, so uh, different perspectives on screenplays. I'm, I'm into history. I wrote a, uh, a script called The Last Shall Be First. It's a true story about the first group of African-Americans to serve in special operations, so I read history. So I read a little bit of everything, you know, especially stuff that um, connects with the stories that I'm trying to tell. You read in genre? No, I don't. No, I don't. I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm not uh, I'm, I'm agnostic as it, as it relates to genre. Uh, I read what interests me, you know, what, what, and, and what interests me at the time, right? Because, uh, I might be in a season where I do want to read history, but I might be in a season where I want to read something as it relates to self-help or, uh, I want to read something, uh, as it relates to, uh, uh, modern politics or politics from, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So, uh, yeah, I, I uh, I'm, I'm pretty fluid when it comes to what I read. So what do, you, what do you get out of each one of these books? When you finish a project like this one, um, do you notice any change in yourself? Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I, I feel more confident as a storyteller, um, uh, especially not just after it's been completed, but after, you know, I, I get feedback from people and, uh, and not just, not necessarily feedback, but I get messages from people saying that they've been impacted. At the end of the day, that's my goal as a storyteller, whether I'm writing a book, whether I'm making a film, 
is, is what I'm making impacting, or will it impact, or does it have the potential to impact? If I, and if I'm writing a story, creating a story, uh, and I sense in the beginning, there's no impact, there's no way to impact an audience, I'm not going to do it. I won't continue forward with it. Um, case in point, I wrote and directed a short film called um, um, The Unexpected, and it's a, a film on organ harvesting. Human trafficking is something that I've been passionate about for the last few years as I've had the opportunity to partner with different nonprofits and, and, and witness it firsthand in such a horrific, horrific thing. And so I made this film called Unexpected in order to educate the masses on, not just on human trafficking, because when people hear human trafficking, they automatically go to, their mind just goes to sex trafficking, but that's just one facet of human trafficking. So I wanted to focus on specifically organ harvesting. And I say all of this to say, once I put that film out on YouTube, um, I got so many messages from people saying this moved me, um, this impacted me. I want to do something. I want to volunteer. I can't believe that this, I didn't know this was happening. I'm crying, right? And, and, and when I got those messages, I was like, great, I did my job. And that gives me more confidence as a storyteller. And so I say, oh, and that's to say, that's what, um, for me, at least, um, that's what I get out of telling these stories. It's, you know, people get impacted. And when I, when I feel like I've done my job, it gives me more confidence to keep telling stories and different type of stories as well. Yep. They can go to YouTube and just type in the unexpected. Um, and it'll pop up. It's a 32 minute short film. As a matter of fact, that film got picked up to be a, a feature film. And, uh, it's going to be a $35 million budgeted action thriller, but we're going to be able to expand on the story and, 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 and get the story, story to a wider audience. As a matter of fact, that was the call that I just received from the WGA because that's the film we're trying to get a, a waiver when it go in production. And so it's a very important topic in, in that film. And also on that YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, Remy Adelaide, where the film is. So they, to make things simple, they could just YouTube Remy Adelaide, my YouTube channel pop up and, and it's, and the film is right on the homepage. But there's also other interviews on that home on my uh, channel of actual trafficking victims and also people who were part of the film who had experience with human trafficking. And so um, there's some other educational information on this as well. well that's, that's great stuff. I'm going to ask the cliche question after that. More important the comment is, you do a lot of things, Remy. What do you like the best? Uh, Which one says, i got to do this. I know you've been asked this a million times, I'm sure, but people want to know. Being a writer-director, that is what I love the most. I love writing a screenplay and then taking off my screenwriter hat, sitting in the director's chair, and watching what I wrote come to life. That's what wakes me up in the morning. Uh, that's what drives me, and, and, and that's what I love. You know, uh, I, I, I don't mind writing books. I enjoy writing. As a matter of fact, Chameleon started out as a screenplay, as I mentioned earlier. It was supposed to be a screenplay that I was going to direct, but, you know, somebody read the script and said this should be a book series, and so I kind of reverse engineered it and did the book. Um, but I, I can't wait for the day where I'm on set um, directing Chameleon as a film, uh, especially directing from the script that I wrote. So that's, that's what gets me out of it. All right. So where, where do people find Remy? So are you um, on social media? Do you have a website? Uh, if someone wants to follow you, what do they do? Yeah, just, you know, Remy Adelaide on every social media platform. i got a unique name, so uh, you can find me uh, at that name at every uh, platform, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, just R-E-M-I, uh, with an I, not a Y, and an A-D-E-L-E-K-E, and also on YouTube. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's where I can be found. 
Great. Of course, we'll put all that up on our website so people can find you easily with one click. And uh, we appreciate you being on the show. It's amazing, amazing. What do you got coming up next? I bet you got a lot, a lot of projects going on. Yeah, yeah. So I have uh, um, obviously I got Chameleon coming out, and I'm not sure when this is going to release, but people can get signed books between now and uh, the day of release Tuesday at the Talk Shop Live link in my bio, um, and I, so I got this book coming out. I also have uh, a TV series I can't really go into detail about uh, that's going into production uh, next August. It's an unscripted TV series, really, really cool military series. Um, and then uh, my book, Transform, um, my memoir got picked up to be a, a major motion picture with a major studio, so after the writing, I already turned in the screenplay before the writer's strike, so that's done. So hopefully after the writer's strike, we can get to, we get to work on that. And uh got a documentary coming out um, in the fall called Hero. And I have a narrative podcast series that I host called Downrange with Tenderfoot TV and iHeartRadio. The first episodes uh, release on Veterans Day 2023. So I'm sure I'm forgetting some other things, but that's what's at the top of mind right now. <laughs> I, I mowed my lawn yesterday, so take yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and if you need an actor, Joe's available. Just well, we appreciate you being on the show. Of course, you thank you, welcome. thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Chameleon, a black box thriller, and our guest is the writer of that, Remy Adelaide. Thank you very much. Thank you, thanks for having me. You've been listening to the House of Mystery Radio Show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www houseofmystery.com Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is here, the production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.